Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. Man, it feels good to say those words again, Andy. I was kind of expecting like some fanfare, like some. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, maybe we'll add that in post. <laughs> like we'll add that in post. It would have been good for the energy to have it at the beginning. I'm Michael, by the way. Oh, I totally I'm Andy. just threw the whole intro out. I'm still Andy. Yeah, I haven't yeah, changed yeah. yet. Yeah, I called you by name, so maybe they caught on to that. I haven't uh, metamorphosized. They, yeah, they may have forgotten who we were. For the first time in the history of True Crime Guys, we took a break. Um, a long ass break, mind you, but we really needed it. Um, when you haven't taken a break from true crime in six years, y- you need a few months. Yeah, you know? as, as soon as I came on, we, a few we, months. we had to unionize. As soon as I came on, I was like, this is not these working <laughs> conditions. <laughs> I am striking immediately. This is unacceptable. <laughs> I need a break but, now. Exactly, exactly. So, But I've had enough of a break. To be honest, I am glad to be back. I'm glad to be back with you guys on YouTube, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Also, don't forget to check out truecrimeguys.com where you can find out all of different ways to listen and participate in the show. I want to see that Uh, one fan who's like listening on their like Samsung refrigerator. Just in their kitchen. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, you could do that? <laughs> yep. You can do that, man. Yeah, there's people still listening on like iHeartRadio and stuff. You know, those those apps are still kicking. I, I know. The I, actual I didn't radio. Realize. Uh, Pandora. People still listen on Pandora, man. Internet killed Why the not? radio star. Right? <laughs> but like I said, guys, uh, one of the best ways to listen, though, if, if my personal favorite, is YouTube. Uh, because you get to see us in stunning 4K or something close that we can upload with our terrible internet speed. Whatever we can um, afford. Whatever, <laughs> that's right. But uh, yeah, every episode, every regular episode of True Crime Guys proper is in video form on YouTube. Uh, just search us True Crime Guys or you can click the link below the description and subscribe and catch all of the episodes there. Um, also, guys... You may have noticed, if you're a new listener, episodes 1 through 50 are not in the catalog. Well, they are in the vault on Patreon, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. For just 2 bucks a month, you can get access to all of those vault episodes, and the vault's going to be growing, Andy. We're adding 50 more episodes uh, this winter. The episodes 51 through 100 will be going into the vault. You know, we're starting fresh. Again, this is this is something Andy started. He's like, let's just get rid of all the old stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Out with the old. He, he, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, it mainly just has to go has to do with like server and update feeds and all that mess. That's boring podcast shit. We're just bu- but, we're just building up our back catalog. But for baby. two bucks a month, and also we have seven day free trials on Patreon as well, so you can really blow through some episodes in seven days. You really can. All right. So right off the bat, guys, before we get into this episode, I want to also talk about some changes that are coming to True Crime Guys. Number one, we're going to narrow our focus a little bit. Um, our, you know, if you guys don't know, Lauren is no longer with us. He left um, in He's still alive. February. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's no longer with True Crime Guys Productions as far as hosting the show. He is still on. He's no longer with us. <laughs> he's, still, <laughs> no, he's still here. He's still on the team. Uh, I, I still talk to him regularly. Uh, he still consults. We have any questions, whatnot. Um, unfortunately, we will not be doing fantasy football this year um, unless someone would uh it wants to start a league for true crime guys i just don't have the time to commission it neither does andy that was kind of lauren's thing um but you can reach out to lauren on social media and i'm sure he's running like three other fantasy football things so he, he you know he was juggling a lot and he was like i can't do it for tcg this week but i'm like no big deal you know he's got big money invested you know he's a high roller now he doesn't well, play these free leagues draftkings.com baby Forget- draftkings.com <laughs> That's right. Lauren was like, please let him, oh. please sponsor us, please sponsor us. I got, <laughs> I got some big bets to make this exactly. weekend. Come on, DraftKings. Uh, speaking of, Full House Fantasy Football Podcast is a real fun uh, podcast to listen to if you guys are into fantasy football. It's part of True Crime Guys Network as well. 
Um, but yes, as far as changes to the show, headlines and shenanigans, which we did over the summer, we'll be doing that on a monthly basis. We're going to be doing that in place of the True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive that will take place the probably the last Wednesday of every month. That's At least that's how we're going to start. They always inevitably ended up getting moved a week or two here and there, but basically what we do is we do three episodes and then a Patreon exclusive. So every fourth episode will be on Patreon under the $2 tier, and in its place you will hear headlines and shenanigans uh, with me and Andy. If you guys didn't listen to any of the summer break episodes, it's basically where we just break down things that are popular in the news, funny happenings, or just stuff that everyone is talking about. We give our opinions and whatnot on that as well. Yeah, we had to definitely talk about the UFO stuff this summer. It's yes. kind of like Strange Shorts. We talked about Rex Huerman a lot. Yeah, more of that yeah, to come. It's, it's like Strange Shorts, but a little more little more up to date, I guess. Well, Strange Shorts was too. But yeah. doing it once a month, we'll make sure that our stories are all killer, no filler, if you catch my drift. Yeah, less birds. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of Strange Unexplained and the whole Sandu... Sandu proper, Strange and Unexplained, where you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts, will be on the YouTube channel now. I am going to start doing the main story part of Sandu proper uh, in video form, so that will be available on our YouTube channel as well, uh, starting September 4th. So when you're hearing this, the new episode of Sandu is already out. So lucky you, because obviously this drops on September 6th, Andy. Yeah, yeah. you probably have already seen a post about that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Also, we will continue to do Sandu stories. Um, there will be no real set schedule for Sandu stories. I'm going to be honest, because um, it is it's something that it takes a lot of time, but we do it because it's fun. We don't get a whole lot of payback from Sandu stories, especially not for the amount of work that we put into it. But it is something that I would say we believe in. Yeah. Something, you know, that we want to leave uh, as, as part of our legacy. It's something that we've always enjoyed doing. Um, Andy's always been big into media and entertainment and big movie buff and into script writing and whatnot. So this is a way for him to use his talents. Uh, this is a way to do something that I love. So Sandu Stories will continue, uh, you know. When we when we get time, <laughs> and we we are sorry for kind of releasing one episode of a series before we took yeah. our break. Um, we are going to finish that series. Yes, there are two more episodes. Um, They're already written. It's yeah. just having the time to sit and record these and getting everybody in the studio, new voice actors. Yeah, that was kind yeah. of our our bad for doing a series and then starting one before we took our break. It yes. just was the scheduling mishaps there. But we do we're going to finish that series, and then Sandu Stories is going to more or less start coming out on a when they are ready to come out completed right so like when we have a series finished we will promote that series and release it there you go so you'll start to see well more said. things like that instead of just a every three weeks or every two weeks so. exactly exactly putting ourselves to that to that schedule you know with already having the schedule here for tcg proper and sandu proper and all that it was just it was a lot to balance and we felt like the quality of the different shows was was falling and that was our fault so, you know, you learn from your mistakes. We took a break. We regrouped. So we're back. So without further ado, let's let's get into this shit. We are doing some cult shit, uh, possibly for a few weeks. You ready to go do some cult shit, Michael? That's right. That's right. I am so ready to do some cult shit. This week we're talking about Tony Alamo. No, it's not Alamo, okay? And I know I'm not a good source for how to pronunciate. See? <laughs> I pronounce things over here. I'm not a good source for pronunciation. I'm not. I just, think, I just always think uh, of it Admittedly so. I think if it was Joe Dirt, and it's like, you know, so I call it, I put a thony on the end, call it Dirt. It's call cool. It <laughs> it's like, it was Alamo. I throw an extra O on the end, call it Alamo. It's cool. <laughs> well, it, the reality of it is, he just wanted to sound more Italian, which we'll get to later. And Obviously. Yeah, Alamo. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but Tony Alamo, aka Bernie Hoffman, 
I don't know why he changed it. What a great name, right? He sounds like a pro baseball player, though, Bernie Hoffman. He, I mean, he sounds like a baseball manager. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like the manager you know, for the all Mets. the managers played, right? <laughs> well, I mean, like, he just seems like a career manager. <laughs> He's just a career man. Just was never good enough. Just damn good coach. Like, you were a hell of a bat boy. <laughs> and then a ri- like, But then uh, you, and you knew all the players, so right. we, just, we just let you go right to manager. But uh, well, Bernie, he, Bernie Hoffman. Yeah. Just, well, he did manage some stuff. He managed a cult, actually. Uh, and he was a cult leader all the way from the 1960s all the way up to the early 2000s. That's quite a hell. That's a hell of a run. That's a that's a long standing. That's a hell happen, of a run. I okay. bet he's got a nice pension plan with that career. Nope. <laughs> got a nice retirement yeah. saved up with that. He really put in the time. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, his empire crumbled in the early 90s, uh, and he died in 2017. Uh, some of his followers are still running around America, though. Uh, Andy, you've already made contact. Uh, putting flyers on windshields, advertising his usual talking points of fire and brimstone, and, of course, the old adage, follow me and only me, or perish in eternal flames. Get saved, and, of course, send me money. Oh, that money's a bright, right. like I said, the last two par- like the both pamphlets, the last paragraph and a half of both yeah. pamphlets is a definition of tithe. It's, in case you didn't know, it's 10%, okay? It doesn't matter. In case you didn't finish reading the first one, it's on the second one. So just in case you skip to the, skip to the end, it's still there. Don't worry. Exactly, exactly. But uh, what I was referring to with Andy making contact with one of these uh, followers, he actually came out of work one day. The reason, whole reason we're doing this case, Andy came out of work one day to find himself bestowed a beautiful pamphlet. I think I have this, one. I this think I lovely have one right cult, and here. we have shown. Oh, Andrew Michael here. can reach right over here. I think I wrote some stuff on there. Don't don't mind that stuff. That's just some stuff I need to remember. Probably. Yeah, this uh, yeah, this lovely this bad little... boy right here. Look at that. That was on your car windshield. Okay. Yeah, I had that little bad That's boy. That's when you know some... you've been accepted. This is a book, baby. This yeah. is uh, this is got some, <laughs> it's, r- it's some high quality bit. reading material. <laughs> Take this right to the toilet with you, baby. Quite a bit of literature, I must say. I must say. Single space too. Single space. Just uh, no pictures. No pictures. (laughs) There's some pictures of Tony on the front. I know, but I'm just like that's a that's a big message right there. Single space. No pictures. (laughs) Well, you know, cult leaders. You know, they they're rarely at a loss for words. They got yeah. They have some things to say. They have something to say. None of it matters, but they have a lot to say. (laughs) Um, But Tony made a splash. Like you can't argue that he made a splash, and he was a prominent leader in the Jesus freaks movement of the 1960s, and he gained a significant number of followers and amassed a substantial fortune, I think up to $9 million. However, he was later arrested for committing tax evasion and child trafficking for nefarious purposes, hence why he is the subject of our show today. Very rarely does the cult leader ever go out to the sunset. No. (laughs) Very rarely does the cult leader get to end on a high note. Very, very, very rarely. (laughs) Very rarely indeed. All right, you ready to get into this, Andy? I think it's about time we get into good old Tony Alamo, baby. Let's do it, man. Roll the intro. It's a llama, by the way. <laughs> I remember the Alamo. <laughs> Joplin, Missouri, he was born and raised. Made his way out to California. Started yelling at folks on the streets of L.A. All you Jesus freaks, rise up and pray. Denim jackets and douchebag shades. Paranoia, he had it in spades. Met God himself in Beverly Hills. And when he told the story, it gave him chills. Holier than the Holy Ghost. We remember the Alamo. We remember the Alamo. 
stretched out his wings in Arkansas. Three hundred acres, they ruled it all. But the love of his life was taken too soon. May the blood of Jesus be against you. Denim jackets and douchebag shades. Paranoia, he had it in spades. Met God himself in Beverly Hills. And when he told the story, it gave him chills. Holier than the Holy Ghost. We remember the Alamo. Yeah, we remember the Alamo. All his denim jackets and douchebag shades Paranoia, he had it in spades Met God himself in Beverly Hills And when he told the story, it gave him chills Holier than the Holy Ghost We remember the Alamo Yes, we do We remember the Alamo we remember the Alamo. All right, guys. As we alluded to, our case this week, old Bernie Lazar Hoffman. That's a badass name, Bernie, Bernie Lazar. Laz- I, I don't hate it, dude. Bernie Lazar. I really don't hate it. That would have been Bernie he, Lazar. Sounds like you own a pretty cool kind of creepy store downtown. Remember how like Bob Bordello, like his like Bob's yeah. Bazaar. Yeah, it kind of yeah, sounds yeah. like yeah, like that guy would be the guy who owns. Yeah, the, Bernie Lazar's Bazaar. Exactly. That's like yeah. Bernie Lazar. Yeah, he's got a shady dealer downtown. Yeah. <laughs> you want a monkey's paw? You want some bone knuckles? Why don't you go down to ben- Bernie Lazar's? Bernie Lazar's Bazaar. Bro. Exactly. <laughs> That's a cult leader name Open right there. Open every Saturday. <laughs> only um, Saturday. <laughs> only Saturday. Sundays they're in church, and every other day he's getting served by his slaves. Um, Bernie Lazar Hoffman was born in 1934 to a Jewish family in Joplin, Missouri. I say to a Jewish family and not as part of a Jewish family because it seemed like he didn't like being Jewish until later, until oh, it became yeah. very, very beneficial for him to be Jewish. Until it was right? convenient. Because then he found out that the Jews were God's chosen people, and he was like, oh, wait, <laughs> you know, come to think of it, I actually am Jewish. Wait a minute, you mean, yeah. oh... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was t- totally Jewish. Totally Jewish. I mean, yeah, Bernie, yeah. Bernie Hoffman, that's a pretty like, pretty-Jewish-sounding yeah. name, so it's like, Jewish family, definitely. Yeah. You, that's why you had eventually. to go Tony Alamo, man. That's why you had to change it. He had to, he had to get his Italian on. For some reason, people like to follow Italians more, I guess. I don't know what his thinking is right there. I think he just picked his suits before he picked his name, and he was ah. like, what name goes with these suits? I think you're partially right. I think he, <laughs> I think he picked the sunglasses before he picked the... Because <laughs> those do shades, man. They yeah. just come with a whole just, different perspective, yeah. a whole different name. I look you know like a saying? Tony now. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a Tony now. More of a Tony now. <laughs> that feels right. That's right. Um, but his childhood was reported to have been pretty unremarkable. Nothing crazy happened to turn him into a sociopath that we know of. But, you know. But it got interesting once he moved to California as a teenager, though, to make a name in the music industry. Okay, but... The facts about this music industry, Andy, are a little fuzzy, and uh, because they're mostly self-reported, so <laughs> you know you take it with a grain of salt. But by the mid 1960s, he was in Los Angeles and worked for a time as a pop singer under the names of Mark Hoffman and Marcus Abad. Abad, Abad, a Marcus Abad, uh, and claiming to be a music promoter who had been asked to manage the Beatles. The Doors and the Rolling Stones, and he just turned them down. He's like, nah, I'm just going to start a cult. You know what? I'm going to see I'm what, just, op- what other options I have I don't right really now. like money or people at the top of their game. Yeah, I'm kind of like, 
kind of like in the wind right now. Yeah. Really liquid. Uh, what would you say you guys name it? The Bugs? Oh, the Beatles? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll get back to you guys. Sounds pretty yeah. similar to like kind of yeah. like Charlie Manson's backstory. with just the to... Windows. Uh, <laughs> so I really don't know if. <laughs> with the Windows right now? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like Charlie Manson. Like, you get a little bit of that Manson vibe in there. Like, yeah. kind of going out to California as a teenager, getting into music yes. industry. I mean, he didn't have the same. Now, he did crazy... produce some music, though. Yeah. Now, we, we're going to get to that in just a second. I mean, so did Charlie, but still. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, while the management deals for The Beatles, The Doors, and Rolling Stones uh, obviously never came to fruition, what is a fact is that Bernie had a supernatural experience in an office in Beverly Hills. Okay, this changed everything for him, Andy, where he became a born-again Christian and instantly turned his life around. Okay. I think I remember reading about that in the yep. uh, the pamphlets. That's the that's the moment where he met Jesus Christ. That's in correct. A, <laughs> in and a, God told him to open a music label. I think that yeah, I think that I think that's a direct yeah. line in the pamphlet. It's like I met Jesus Christ in a Beverly Hills recording studio. He did in nineteen sixty five. I think that's the opening of it, isn't it? It's it, I think it's part of his testimony when it gets into like Bur- or Tony's testimony. Yeah, it's one of those like I met Jesus Christ in nineteen sixty nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. I would open with that too. I mean, if I met Christ, that'd be the first thing. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, what more do you need to know about him? I mean. I'm sold. Um, But he opened a small music label, with Christ's blessing, of course, Alamo Records, which produced a few successful 45s, most notably from the Sons of Adam, who worked with him in 1967 and described him as a fast-talking hustler with his own agenda. Now, I looked up the Sons of Adam. They're kind of cool. They're kind of like Jefferson Airplane-ish. They're kind of dark, heavy for the time, heavy rock for the time, but now we would just call it like probably psych or groove rock. Sounds like Type a deal. sounds like a death metal band, like the Sons of Adam. The Sons of Adam, yeah. Cain and Abel, <laughs> Sons of Adam. <laughs> yeah, they're not th- they're not that hard. They're, <laughs> that's what they're not hard rock for today's standards. No, but in the '60s, yeah, yeah. A little doo wop, were... <laughs> <laughs> little little disco. <laughs> but uh, Tony also claimed that he recorded a hit single entitled "Little Yankee Girl," although literally no music reference book from that time contains a record of it. I I couldn't find anything myself. Um, but in Las Vegas in 1966, old Bernie married Edith Opal Horn, and they then legally changed both of their names to Su- Tony and Susan Alamo. I mean, okay. that, that definitely it, it sounds, right off the tongue. It sounds a little bit more like an established cult couple, Tony and Susan. Yeah. Because Edith Opal, that's just a, damn, that's a country name right there. That, that is. is. Edith some, Opal Horn, she sounds like a country, she sounds like a country star, that's like a, a legend. That is a country, like, like that's Come deep. see Edith Opal Horn at the Grand Ole Opry. Exactly, that's like yeah. some Dolly Parton, that's a yeah. deep country name right there, Edith Opal. Well, it didn't work for her acting career, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. That's, that's, that was her first, uh, first choice career, okay? <laughs> then she had to settle for cult leader. Yeah, you know. It's an easy but, second. But <laughs> I don't really know. I'm guessing he chose Tony because it's a, probably the most popular American-Italian name that we can think of. And then I don't know why she chose Susan. But like I said earlier, Alamo was because he wanted to see more Italian at this time. Um, but Tony became a fiery street preacher on the streets of L.A., uh, now emblazoned by his, his new partner in life, preaching an apocalyptic version of Pentecostalism. And if you don't know what Pentecostals do... They fucking get down. They get down in church, okay? The branch of Christianity best known for spirited music following modern-day revelations and miracles and demonstrating signs of being baptized in the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues. Yes, I have been to these churches. Not only have I been to these churches, I have attended these churches for some length of time, and I have seen all of these things. 
I I will stop to tell a story because I remember that time. Let's hear it. When Michael was attending one of those churches when we were uh-huh. we were early twenties. We got 20s. some good ones. We were early twenties, and I was Michael was attending one of those churches. He asked me to come play with him, play drums for him. He did not fill me in that that was the kind of church we were. I at. told you they were energetic. You said that's a fucking difference. <laughs> I'd been I'd used to some Southern Baptist every once in a while, some off claps. I'm sitting there playing drums and people start sprinting towards the stage. I'm like, are we about to get rushed? Like, what the? About to get a stage dive up in here? Yes. Yes, they get they get into it. They get into it. Okay, there's the twirling of the flags. There's the dancing. There's the speaking in tongues. There's the shouting. Uh, this sect is it's not quite uh, the sect of Pentecostal and what you're familiar with with Appalachia. That's where you get like the snake handlers. Yeah. Um, you know that's down the road a little bit. That ain't far from us still. That's just that's just down the road. But they also practice charismatic gifts like divine healing and worship services that that could include spontaneous dancing and shouting. Anything that says Pentecostal. On the sign, there's going to be some dancing and shouting. They got that the, the lay on hands. For and... Sure. Like, they come looking for it. I've been at, no lie, I've been at Pentecostal services, right? And I'm like, this service ain't even that good. It's not <laughs> even that good. I'm just being honest. The music is not even that good. The, the person is, they're, they're singing out of pitch. Like, I can't even focus. I If I wanted to be in God's presence, I couldn't even do it right now. <laughs> I don't think God's and, in this building right now. people are still, I'm like, you're not even listening. You just came to run around. Yeah. You, uh, you right. wore gym shorts. You, are those sweatpants? No. <laughs> You didn't even wear shoes. You, I knew you were going to run. Those fucking Nike shocks? You brought your cross trainers to church? Did you have breakaways Are those on? PF flyers? Is that how you keep clearing these pews? I swear to God, Susan. It's like you just got that one guy in the back who's just like, wait, wait, wait to the music, wait to the music, just stands up and rips off the breakaways. <laughs> you knew it. You knew it. When I, when I led worship in those churches, I knew. I'd be like, I'd be watching people. I'd be like, oh man, Claire's about to take off. If she makes three laps, this is a good... Good at service. Ooh, Bonnie's about to bounce. She... <laughs> See her hopping. Ooh, she's about, she to, about, she's to, about to clear that pew. She... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Back to Tony. So in 1969, after success as a street preacher on the Sunset Strip, and I say success because he, he rallied quite a following, but he, we'll see how he did. He, he bribed the homeless, mainly. I mean, this ain't, uh, no, this ain't no Jim Jones yet. He ain't got Right, a... right, right, right. Mm. But Tony and Susan founded the Alamo Christian Foundation in Hollywood. And their followers would walk the streets of Hollywood and offer a hot meal to anyone willing to take an hour drive to Agua Dulce for a church meeting. Okay? So they attracted hippies and the isolated use of the time mainly and started calling themselves Jesus Freaks. Many of Tony's first apostles were sex workers, uh, alcoholics, addicts, and once warm and fed, they would often stay with the foundation um, as Bible students and lay preachers. I mean, why not? Like, life seems like it's really turned around for you now, right? Like, you made all the right decisions. You were on... You, you were, followed you were, God, and look how great your life got all of a sudden. Yeah, now you're in a compound. You got food you got food in front of you, clothes on your back, place to sleep. You were on, right. you were on the street on Skid Row. Yeah, it's like, I, I feel like... I, I did, did I read correctly that this... That they, they were the cult that they, kind of started the term Jesus Freaks? Allegedly. Like, was, he, is a, he is a big leader in it. Yeah, like I that term kind of, also became popular again, like not that long ago. But I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, it did. It started coming a little bit more. Bit. Yeah, um, kind of like QAnon, kind of right wing conspiracies. It, it did pop up a little bit past like in the past ten years. But yeah, yeah, I, was, I did read that like his cult was they were they were like the the Jesus freaks, and that's where the name started spreading. Anybody yeah. who was like going door to door for Jesus was because mm-hmm. like this cult was the Jesus freaks. Right, I, and that could be it too. It could have been just because of so, people were so charismatic back in the day, as far as you know 
proclaiming their Christianity and so bold to go into the world and shouting and whatnot. You don't see that very often now. Like, yeah, you still see it in small towns. Yeah. You know, we live, I might go up to the, I see a guy preaching at the gas station every now and then, but nobody's listening. You know what I'm saying? But at this time, there were huge groups. There was a huge movement for this. And like I said, I mean, yeah, if you take someone from laying in a gutter, shooting up to having a warm bed, good food to eat, and you're weaning them off the drug, and you're giving them a purpose. Yeah, of course they're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. They had I mean? nothing. They it's... had nothing to go back to. Exactly. Jim Jones did the same thing. He went to these certain neighborhoods that that didn't have a better alternative than him helping them. Yeah, that's why I say this. It, it, Tony Alamo does have like sound like Jim Jones light, kind of like a not quite the char- yeah. the charisma, not quite the reach that Jim okay. Jones had, but he was trying. He really was. He, he really wanted that same like mass cult following kind of God among men. See, I agree with you to a certain point. I think the reason he didn't hit the Jim Jones like level, at least in your opinion, is that he was more after the money. Whereas Jim Jones was after the power and the control. I think later Tony became more after power and was like more driven by sex and control after his wife died. Yeah. But I think before that, he was all about building this empire, building this money. Whereas Jim Jones wanted to build his his army. Yeah, he wanted, he wanted more power, status. more people. Yes, yes. Yeah, it does seem like that, almost kind of like the idea of like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Like he, he started this cult to get money and he got so much power and so many followers that it just kind of corrupted him even more. Eventually, it's just the, oh, yeah. the God, like I said, the God head of this cult and no one tells them no ever. So, right. yeah, exactly. it's easy to corrupt. Exactly. And how dare you compare him to other Christians? Because Tony would preach that he was different from other lively Christian leaders at the time, okay? Since he was born a Jew, Andy. Okay, we're going back to this now. <laughs> very Christ-like, I'm just it's saying. Like, I, I mean, very Christ-like. Like, if I was talking to Tony Alamo, right, and he was like, I'm Jewish, I'd be like, eh, Alamo, I think you're Italian. Just walk away. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it's like, well, I was born Jewish. Uh, no, no, I don't believe you. Now the name like Alamo. I changed it. Yeah, sure you did, pal. Sure you did. <laughs> but he was born a Jew and received a direct message from God to begin his ministry, like all Jews do, Andy, actually. Uh, Tony and Susan stayed in California until 1976 when the headquarters of the church moved to Dyer, Arkansas, which was Susan's hometown. Okay, She had connections here. And plus, small town people are... Easily manipulated, especially in the 60s. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, definitely. You know what I'm saying? That does like an Arkansas name. Yeah. yeah. Edith Opal. Yeah. That's an Arkansas name. That's that's an Arkansas name all day long. (laughs) After the move, the church membership grew to several hundred members and began setting up businesses in the nearby Alma, Arkansas area to make themselves more self-sufficient. It was encouraged that the members practice communal living on the 300-acre compound. And now that Tony had him fenced in, he doubled down on his conspiracy-laden theology, growing the membership and opening churches in Nashville, Chicago, Brooklyn, and Miami Beach. See, that's the it's impressive. I just, but how I, big is the church? Yeah, when I hear when I hear those little facts like that, it's like three hundred acre self-sustaining compound. I just look over at Michael because I feel like there's just a slight bit of Michael that's like, God damn, it does sound good. <laughs> hey, that 300 acres, that does 300 sound 300 acres self-sustaining, that sounds pretty good right there. Maybe I should be a cult cop. Maybe I Listen, it's not all bad. That's why people join, Andy. I'm just saying, remember we, we had the idea for the like the MLM cult, so like the, get the 300 acres in a compound? A little, I'd be a little, less, a little less hands-on, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Tony's <laughs> beliefs and practices right now. Um, 
But like I, like I mentioned briefly a second ago, Alamo's theology was built on a large number of conspiracy theories, which were clearly explains, explained in the tracts and pamphlets that they printed themselves to hand out to their community. So he was anti-Catholic to the utmost degree, and he accused the Vatican of controlling the White House and, of course, exposing their plot to attack all religions in the world. Because that's what the Vatican's doing. If you want to be, if you wanted to present more Italian, mm-hmm. why are you, like, that's, Catholicism is very, is predominantly Italian. Like, and it's the know, Roman Catholic Church. It's, it's almost like he really doesn't know what he's doing and he's not that smart. I th- it's, it's, it's weird, like, I right? don't think you, it's like But I that said, can't be the case. I think you let the sunglasses pick the name. Yeah, I don't I, think you really looked into this. You didn't really think it through. <laughs> I don't think I, you looked into this. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but another quote from one of his tracks states, quote, narcotics, prostitution, pornography, booze, and black market, literally every impure thing can be traced right back to the Vatican, end quote. I, you know, I, that's about, probably uh, pretty true right uh, well, there. I'll end this I'm right not now. I'm going to argue, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. I'm not no. going to say that's fact. Not... That doesn't sound like fact, Andy. Quit. Everything, you're going to get us taken down or Every something. evil in the world. Uh, yeah, right. That's a little bit of a stretch. A little bit of a stretch. But he also thought that UFOs were messages from heaven and were alerting the faithful to inevitable end times. Yeah. Literally anything that re- that radical religious people don't understand is the end of times. Period. I if, they, like- if they don't understand it and they're radically religious and they base everything on their life on this religion, their purpose, their eternity, their afterlife, typically, I'm just saying, something they don't understand, something that can't be explained, end of times. Yep. End of times, Andy. That's all I can tell you. And that world, world's going to hell. World's aliens, going to hell. end of times. But we've had aliens since the 30s. It's been in time since the 30s. It's a, you know, it's a slow Listen, burn. Uh, <laughs> it's a slow burn on that uh, apocalypse. 100 it's years. A, 100 years. That's dropping the bucket of eternity. I'm just saying, yeah. It's a, yeah. You know, it said the fires of hell would you know, overtake the world. I mean, I mean it's, a, it's a slow burn, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. a controlled burn. It's coming up slowly. You'll, you'll see it coming. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming, see? It's coming. I mean, you're going to die before anything happens. I mean, it's but. way off there. But it's <laughs> But uh, the cult was similar to a lot of evangelical Christians in that they required all members to follow a strict moral code which forbade drugs, homosexuality, adultery, birth control, and, of course, abortion. Well, you can't have birth control and abortions because then how are you going to get new members? That's exactly correct. How are you going to get them born Uh, into members? Too many of his new members were actually born into the cult. It's, It's pretty astounding. Um, however, they differed when they required all members who joined their on-site drug rehabilitation program to take a vow of poverty and turn over all their money and property. Yeah, okay? drug addict, drug Because if you don't have money, you can't buy drugs. That's what Boom, drug addicts are healed. known to do. That's definitely what they are known to do. Just give up, give up all their money and possessions yeah. and property, and yeah, that's exactly what drug addicts are. It's so to do. funny <laughs> that yeah, it's it's like if they would have just stayed on the street, they would have lost all the same stuff. So it's like, it's are like, they are they in really? But now they live on a three hundred acre farm. I mean, you're living, but they live on a three hundred acre <laughs> farm, Andy. That's what I'm saying. It's a selling point for Michael. It, it's pretty it's, nice. <laughs> Michael's not the hardest person to get into your cult. <laughs> You present him with some pretty good land acreage and a not, you know good little area That's for right. himself. I can play the part for a while. I can uh, I can play the part for a while. So all this right here is mine. Okay. All right, all right. I'm what sure. do I gotta do? I gotta. <laughs> all right. Okay. I gotta wear this little vest. This, this little okay. I mean, I this is this. just 100 percent cotton. I'm cool. That's fine. Right. Cool as hell. <laughs> right. Oh my god. But yeah, but after giving up all their money and property, shocker, Andy, they would have no choice but to live on the compound and work for free. So. But their payment being room and board and education, of course, uh, at the on-site schools. 
uh, for their kids, and those schools went all the way up through high school. I it's the Tony Alamo um, curriculum. Actually. Something just I, I I'm just not feeling a strong sense of accreditation. No? From this school? <laughs> you don't think so? You don't think these, these uh, credits transfer? I, I just... You know, is that I what you're trying like, to say? I feel like their curriculum may have like a few blank spots in it. <laughs> there could be a few things they miss, but I, I doubt it. This is this it. is their entire curriculum, folks. This is what they teach the twelve. <laughs> it takes this 12 is, years to memorize 12 it. 12 years. This is the entire curriculum. Yeah, you have to memorize <laughs> it or you get pamphlets. lashings. Um. But in addition to going to school from kindergarten until high school under the thumb of Tony, Tony would also decide personal life matters for his followers, like telling them who to marry and when. And like I said, he was also very invested in the education of the children, those brought in through conversions and those born into the compound. And a lot were born into the compound because he actually targeted um, single mothers who were pregnant promising them that he would raise and take care of their child if they would join the cult. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want you don't know how you're going to take care of this baby? You don't know what you're going to do? Yeah, how you I got 300 job? acres. I got a house for you to live in. I just need you to do this work and be part of this. Yep. You just come live here, do what I say, do some chores, yep. and you'll have everything So a couple denim of. jackets, I'll take care of everything else. <laughs> how good are you, how right? good's your acid washing? How small are your child's fingers? We need bedazzlers. Yes. You've bedazzled before. <laughs> But yeah, Tony controlled everything. He would determine who got new clothes, who was allowed to eat. He would direct them to only flush the toilets every few days. So what the fuck is up with that? Um, And if you weren't one of the lucky ones who were chosen to eat at the compound, then you might have to resort to dumpster diving to feed yourself. Just depends. And like, I think sometimes he would punish people as well and like uh, starve them of certain things, at least for a little while. That's textbook cult leader behavior yep. to you starve them, keep them sleep deprived, keep yeah, them yeah. exhausted. Don't, don't let them think. Don't let them do anything that's else. That's right. Don't let them feel like they're part of the of the organization anymore. Yeah, you got. Yeah. You can't give them a break. You got. You have to break them physically and mentally to like to be the big successful cult like successful cult leaders. That's yeah. the, like I said, textbook behaviors to. Yep. Keep those people as docile as possible and as weak as possible. Yeah, because you don't absolutely. want you don't want an entire church mostly. deciding to rise up against you. <laughs> it's no, not going to be good for you. Absolutely not. Because he had you know he had hundreds of members at at any given location. So yeah, if they decided to to go against old Tony, but he had a lot of soldiers. He had a lot of loyal soldiers in those mm-hmm. under ranks. Um, but speaking of grooming kids and getting them young, in 1982, Tony began a child care business and issued a new track called Tricked with two exclamation points. <sighs> yeah, like trick or treat. Tricked, right? And in it, he claimed that the atheists were tricking everyone into believing that resources were going to run out for future generations and that they wanted to invite millions of immigrants into the U.S. while simultaneously supporting the abortion of two million babies a year. Okay. And tricked, he offered to pay for the delivery of those babies and take care of the child. Get this, Andy, for life. For life. So you're just trying to buy a baby? Exactly. Okay, okay, I'm just Uh, following, just following, just buying a baby. Luckily. (laughs) However, once the government came knocking to find out if the foundation was running an unlicensed daycare, the response was, quote, What we have is a church facility where mothers and fathers and their children come. This is a clubhouse, not a daycare center. That's right. That's straight from Tony himself. Clubhouse. There's uh, a bunch of kids right? here. It's like, dude, even churches have to be approved daycares. Like, even churches at daycares, you'll ride by and they'll be like, this is a four-star daycare. This is a five-star daycare. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, you still have to be under some type of 
uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Some type of government management or yeah, some uh, sort of uh, licensing something. Yeah, you can't some just, sort of supervision. You're right. going to have some kind of checks and balances when you're taking care of children. You Absolutely. can't just be. Absolutely. Can't just be winging it. Yeah. But all this time, Tony and Susan were making millions off of the unpaid labor of their followers. They began their most profitable business yet during this time, which was, we've alluded to many times, the bedazzled jean jacket business. Oh, baby, You baby, are not baby. ready for this business, Andy. We're going to have some you of are. them coming up on the screen, and you'll Pop start seeing up them. You'll That's start right. seeing some denim you jackets these as bad we're boys? talking. These things are amazing. Uh, <laughs> but remember tapes and CDs? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, then you might remember the 1987 cover to Michael Jackson's Bad. You remember that, Andy? Oh, I think I may remember. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm bad. Actually, I'm funny bad. story. My, my son, uh, right, he's 14 years old. And he just recently got into CDs for some random reason. And I guess just because they're cheap and you can have it and hold it and listen to it. I my, don't know. My stepdaughter's it's, doing it, the same thing. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I don't know. They're into CDs. But he just bought the Michael, Back, Michael Jackson Bad CD. And he's been wearing that thing out. So when I found out this, I like ran into his room. And I was like, let me see this jacket. I was like, okay, it's, it's kind of a dope jacket. I'm it's gonna like, okay, I mean, I could, I would, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm not saying I would wear it, but I mean, but, I would wear it at home. <laughs> right, right. But on it, he's wearing a leather jacket customized by Tony's cult. And, uh, but this, this jacket business started in Alma, Arkansas, in a converted restaurant and mostly featured bedazzled and airbrushed denim. Now, dude, I was kind of on board with these jackets until they started bedazzling them. I, I'm the, the airbrush, not that bad. You know, a lot of a lot of celebrities can really pull it off, I'm, even yeah. with the bedazzles. Like I said, we but got Dolly Parton right here in one of these. I'm Dolly can pull off anything. Dolly Parton in a denim jacket is just fucking money. Mr. T right? can pull off anything. Like, but there's the Miley Cyrus. I think she has one as well. There's it's quite a few people. Yeah, but they began with raw denim that they then bleached and sewed, and they added stencils and airbrushing, and they let the children of the cult, of course, that's what I was referring to, the tiny fingers, stick and apply rows upon rows of crystals to make what is admittedly a decent-looking jacket. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, some of them are pretty sick. I mean, if you saw this and you're walking down Hollywood Boulevard and you see one of these things out on, like, a little table somewhere, it's going to catch you. That's probably what you're going to spend it, your money on. You're like, <laughs> oh, damn, I don't know that. about that. Hollywood Damn! Look at that bedazzle. Like, how much you got on the? How much you got on the denim jacket? <laughs> They'd be like, you know what? Why don't you take the denim jacket along with this pamphlet? <laughs> Listen, man. A lot of people loved them, and that is that is not up for debate. People did love these things. Celebrities in the past and present still love these jackets. Besides, uh, besides the king of pop, they were sported by Elvis, Dolly Parton, Mike Tyson, Brooke Shields, and Burt Reynolds. They're, okay. And they're being, and they're still being, and they're being worn today by more current artists like Miley Cyrus, Nicki Minaj, and even Francis Bean Cobain, Kurt Cobain's daughter, if you're not familiar. Like I said, if if you got t- uh, Mr. T, Mike Tyson, and Burt Reynolds wearing these jackets in the '60s and '70s, yeah, those are the coolest goddamn jackets on the market. The jackets right now. were pretty awesome, dude. Just saying, if those three men are walking out in those jackets, yeah. That's the coolest jacket on the market right now. <laughs> yeah. But what was not cool was the working conditions that the unpaid laborers had to deal with making these jackets. And that also would have cut into the profits, you know? <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> Duh. Uh, the area was full of bleach fumes that men, women, and children uh, worked in for up to 14 hours a day. They believed that they were making these jackets for God, Andy. So they <laughs> also filled that they would have his protection, right? Like, what size what? is God? Is what? he like a, like a 44 <laughs> no. long? Is he like a... Nice, nice. Is he a Y? I, I, don't I like know. that wordplay joke. That's good. That's good. 
Uh, but one man that was working on the jackets, he said, quote, we did it with zeal. Uh, one man that grew up on the compound. Um, one of the 500 or so children. He was born after Tony reached out to a young mother with the promise of caring for her child in exchange uh, for her and her child's membership. They were often told that if they left the church, they would lose their salvation and, of course, go to hell. Everything. You know, yeah, you're going straight to hell. If regardless. you go against Tony at all, if you put those fucking bedazzles in the wrong place, you're going to hell. Okay? Don't mess up. Don't mess up the blue measure, jacket. Measure twice, cut once. No, listen, Don't risk once, it. once you sew that denim together, you bleach it. If you mess up on the airbrush, the whole thing is ruined. Yeah. Doesn't okay? come out. It, no. But the official name for the jackets was Tony Alamo of Nashville. That's that's it. That doesn't even scream jacket to me. It's, it doesn't scream jacket. Tony company. Alamo apparel. Like you could have done like what yeah. the fuck? Alamo apparel. He just wanted people to know where they could come find him. You know? I, yeah, probably. And probably these jackets were most popular in country music back then, I would think. Yeah, you got Dolly Parton and Elvis wearing them, but then yeah. you got, like I said, Mike Tyson and Burt Reynolds. But so that's later yeah. on. That's yeah. later on. It's not the 60s, obviously. Uh, but Tony Alamo of Nashville is what he called the, the company. And it came from the largest country western store that the church opened. And that store became the flagship for their jacket sales and hosted plenty of celebrities, so they say. Uh, even later, when legal troubles started creeping in, the interest in the jackets really didn't wane. Alamo even told a reporter, quote, The clothing is so groovy, everyone wants it no matter what they think I am. No matter what, <laughs> the superstars are going to want my jackets. I love the idea of, like, no matter what they think I am, these jackets are fire. They want these jackets. <laughs> you see these jackets? Of course you do. Look at this jacket. <laughs> and to be honest, he was right. He was, he was right. Um, but uh, at its height, the Alamo Empire was worth at least $9 million and ran approximately 30 businesses. Now, it's hard to say what it was worth for certain since most of the money was hidden and, of course, the labor was unpaid. But there were definitely successful trucking companies, a hog farm, a grocery store, and a couple real estate ventures that turned legit cash. And don't forget that tithe, Michael. The most important thing. The most important thing. The most important source of re their revenue stream, the tithe. Well, that's what kept everything going in reality. <laughs> that was just what they reported to the they IRS. They had the tithe like... and they didn't get paid. What the hell? You guys are receiving $8 million in tithe? <laughs> what? <This is> incredible. <laughs> Who were but, your members? <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, Tony even owned a nightclub in Alma where Dolly Parton performed, allegedly. And Bill Clinton went to that performance with then-girlfriend Hillary Rodham. Um, and in Bill Clinton's 2004 memoir, Clinton recalls that this was his first introduction to the Alamo, to Alamo, calling him, quote, Roy Orbison on speed. <laughs> I, there is not a doubt in my mind that Bill Clinton was at that party groovy as a motherfucker. Just being yeah. like, all right, I get one of them jackets, man. Yeah, that's a pretty man, cool that's a pretty jacket. Good jacket I, I, I wear that jacket, man. Go ahead and hey, put man. it on me, baby. I wear that jacket in a heartbeat. Hey, Dolly, you mind if I come up there for a sack so low? Hillary, you think this jacket looks good on me? What do you think, Hillary? You of course it does. <laughs> Don't worry, baby. I got you one, too. <laughs> but uh, in Bill's memoir, he also mentioned uh, Tony's later drama involving tax evasion, a brief standoff with the police at the ministry compound, and Susan Alamo's remains being found on the compound, which... We That's all that. you. That's right. Susan actually died quite young, uh, only in her 50s. More on that in just a sec. So, part four of this crazy podcast. I don't want to say any of that. Part all right. four. All right, so let's get into some of Tony's run-ins with the law, some of his legal troubles, okay? 
Uh, he was briefly arrested and served a little time for an illegal weapons charge back in 1966. But his real issues came from the financial beast of an empire that he built. Well, more so his unwillingness to pay federal taxes on that said empire. That's where they always That's get they you. That's they always get you, man. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Every single cult. You can do whatever the fuck you want, but when you don't pay, pay your taxes. taxes, they will Bring you, they will bring down hellfire That's on right. you. That's right. Until you're a certified religion, you got to pay those taxes. Even then, I'm just saying, yep. like, you better not skip out on, like, you better pay every goddamn cent that you're required to, or they are coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we get to get too in depth in those legal issues, let's let's talk about Susan right quick and her remains being found. Okay, so let's let's back up. Let's give a little more of a background on Susan real quick. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Tell me this, creepers. Do you, like me, lie in bed at night, begging for that sweet relief of sleep to take you, only to be kept awake by the out-of-control freight train that is every mistake you've ever made since birth? Oh yeah, creeps. That's a normal run-of-the-mill night for Andy here. Oh what? You thought this dark humor and wit came from talent? Oh no, baby. That's 100% homegrown trauma right there. And if you've got some trauma in your life as well, I want to let you know there's help available, even for you. I can speak for myself when I tell you that talking to someone about those traumatic things in your past, the ones that keep you up at night, it genuinely does help. Nothing gets any better by keeping all that stuff inside. So maybe it's time to open up a little bit, you know? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com and use slash Creeper today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creeper. So give them a call and start your journey to a better life today. She was born in 1925. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, she was a struggling actress uh, with a name Edith Opal Horn. I can't imagine why. And when she met Tony... <laughs> Headshot, Edith. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come on. You don't uh, want Edith in your movie? Edith Opal? Come on. Right. Edith? <laughs> right. But she met Tony and they married in 1966. Uh, at that time, she had bleached blonde hair that she wore in a bouffant style. It was her signature look, along with her fashionable dresses and long pearls. Now, she was an integral part of the ministry, supporting Tony every step of the way after being a successful street preacher in her own right. Now, she was as charismatic as Tony was in front of a crowd, and really as much of a face of the ministry as, as Tony was. Honestly, most pictures, he has her in them. I think, I think he truly loved Susan. I think I, they I, loved each other. I think they were made for each other. I, they, they kind of felt like, not so much like the Jim Jones situation, but who was it? Was it the uh, Heaven's Gate cult who, like, the, the, two, the uh, two leaders um, of that, they just, they just, like, needed each other to, to really vibe, to really... Gate? Was it Mar? It was like Marshall Applewhite and yeah, Marshall Applewhite was. Heaven I can't Kid, remember yeah. the the other but the see, girl's name. I can't name. remember his. Yeah, I can't remember his partner's name. Okay, but like those two people, they like they they're the closest thing we. They can like think of. needed each other, and because they because those two stars collided, that cult became formed. It's like yes. it probably wouldn't have formed with just the, the either one of them alone, but the combination of those two charismatics, mm-hmm. shady motherfuckers became what is this cult now. Yep, encouraging, igniting each other's passions. Yeah, sometimes it can work for the bad. <laughs> uh, but in the early 1980s, Susan got a diagnosis of breast cancer, and she believed that God would heal her and basically took no medical action and eventually succumbed to it in 1982, just like less than two years later. 
shocking. Uh, yeah, that's 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 heartbreaking. That's the that's the sad side. But that also uh, lends a little cred to the fact that they believed what they were talking about. I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to give her some credit. I mean, if she believed she believed God was going to heal her. There, that was something that I did kind of question when I looked into the to her death and stuff. Because you got to see a lot of those cult leaders. Sometimes it's like they will preach all this stuff. But then when something bad happens to them, they'll yeah. just kind of sneak and go get medical help. They'll go to the hospital. They'll go take care of themselves. Because they're yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, what I'm she saying wasn't. is, like, what I'm saying is bullshit, but they're buying it. Yeah. My chest is hurting. I'm going to go to the ER. So yep. it's like they they know that they're spitting bullshit. But and it kind of made me think, it's like, do you, do you really think that she believed it that much and that strong? Or do you think there was maybe a little bit, this is, this is just speculation, but it's like, do you think there was a little bit of that control of Tony Alamo being like, you don't need to get treatment. I know Possibly. what's best for you. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, Tony yeah. was a very like, I'm going to control what well, everybody does, where they go, when they go, who goes well, where. Yeah, well, definitely. Because Tony's faith never wavered on this. He knew she was going to be healed. And I know that because after she passed, he still had people praying for six months that she would come back to life. Okay? Yeah, that is... That's, that's what we're about to get to. Tony, you know, he's now, he's grief-stricken. He claimed that if the followers believed and prayed hard enough, then Susan would be resurrected from the dead. Tony had her body embalmed and kept her on display in the Arkansas compound for six months as the faithful kept vigil over her, praying Curse. almost without ceasing. And after six months, he finally declared that she could be entombed in a heart-shaped crypt on the compound. Dude, if you think she's going to come back to life, why did you embalm her? Because yeah. then she's just going to come back a fucking embalmed corpse full of formaldehyde and no organs left. Right. It's like, if she comes like back, she's going to die it's, again. It's like, how much do they really believe it, right? But the, how much of it's for show? How much of it, uh, you know, because you, you, I feel like he's kind of buying time here, right? Because his, his he's told his congregation that his wife was going to be healed. I'm sure of that. Oh, yeah. Mm, Probably hundreds of times, and she wasn't, and so he had, he needs to buy some more time. He's like, okay, well maybe we can bring her back. That's that's just not the way it works, man. Got to find some. Got to find something to blame. He just or needs find... to buy time, right? If he's like, yeah. okay, that's another six months. Maybe they'll forget about it. Maybe a bunch of other things that I said will actually work out in the next six months, and they won't completely doubt me, mm -hmm. and I won't lose control over this thing. It's right? just like the end of times cults who always have to push their their date back because they're like that. That's the biggest mistake those end time cults always yep. make is they give a date. Yeah. And then that date comes and goes, and they're yep. like, I read the tea leaves wrong. It's actually Thursday. Yeah, uh, I really shouldn't My have done bad. That, that was really that, that's a Tuesday. It's, yeah. it's, it's silly me. It's a Thursday when really, the world's going to end. Really shouldn't have narrowed down that date. Yeah, it's always <laughs> the biggest. Like, For real. You can't make promises that are like, def, like these like definite promises for the future, then especially if they have like a end date because oh, yeah. then you're going to have to keep walking it back you're going to have to keep pushing it and if he's going to if he's telling his congregation let's pray over my dead wife she's going to come back just like Christ 3 days day 38 it's starting to stink. Like they you might gotta, start doubting you. You a gotta start yeah. like figuring out what you're gonna spin. Right. Well, he was kind of he was kind of saved in a way, but it, it, not not in the best because his compound was raided in 1991. Uh, the mausoleum was opened and Susan's body was stolen. Okay, not raided by the police. Uh, oh wait, it was raided by the police in 91, but before it was, Susan's body was stolen. But it was returned in 1998 after a lengthy legal battle headed by Susan's estranged daughter. 
That's okay. seven years up with a corpse. Apparently. Somebody just took yeah. a corpse and kept it for a while. Yep. Like, it's not like they went and buried it. Well, and they probably to, thought like, they were going to get some money from Tony. and I, I guess, but at the same know. time, it's like you took a corpse and you didn't. It's like, it's not like they took the corpse and took it to a cemetery and buried it and be like, we're done with this. Yeah. It kind of held it hostage. But after this, <laughs> uh, former cult members say that Tony kind of started to lose it, you know, more than usual. Uh, but he began to viciously terrorize his followers, beating children with paddles until bloody even for minor infractions, and like most cult leaders, declaring that he had the right to take as many wives as he wanted. He was just looking for a distraction at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's just trying to fill a void now. Yeah, absolutely. But in 1984, Alamo married Birgitta Allenheimer. Allenheimer? Allenheimer? Uh, although they quickly divorced, he then married a woman named Elizabeth just two years later. Now, during a custody battle with Elizabeth, Birgitta spoke on the record that their marriage had never been finalized. Brigetta also testified that Alamo would beat her, drug her, and try to force her to have plastic surgery so she could look more like his ex-wife Susan, his uh, late wife. Yeah, rather. his. I mean, uh, it, you. I brought. I brought the corpse in, Doc. Like, if you can look at what I've yeah. had done here. Yeah. I really want this on her. Yeah. Like, can you just? Can you? <laughs> can you take this off? Is, like, is this still fresh? Uh, is this like, I got correctly? the face. I have the face. Like, I have you can the have, whole like, face. You can use the face. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1991, like we alluded to earlier, U.S. Marshal's office was finally able to prove their tax evasion case and raided the compound. This is when the body of Susan Alamo uh, was first initially found. Tony advised all of his followers to pack up and run. Officials were able to prove that Alamo had made $9 million in the prior three years without paying any taxes on it. And he was also charged with $5 million of unpaid labor wages. His businesses were sold off to pay all of these fines. Not the jackets, now, though, right? <laughs> you got to keep the jackets, right? Uh, I think he probably sold out of the jackets. I'm sure they were like a made-to-order basis. Uh, but Tony also had a warrant out for unlawful interstate flight to avoid charges of child abuse, over which he released a statement saying that he was being libeled. In his refute, he again displayed his extreme hubris by claiming, quote, the American Disc Jockey Association feels that Tony Alamo is a better singer than Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, and Andy Williams, end quote. I don't know how that relates. Them's fighting words. How <laughs> does that relate? I'm, this, it's, the, it's the paranoid mania it, of, a, of a man who thinks everyone's out to get him, and he's, he I thinks guess. he is that important that he's the like, American... He's like, you know how good of a singer I am? The American You're, Disc Jockey Association is against me. Right. Like, everyone's against me. Everyone's coming for me. Everyone... Th right. Obviously, that's why my followers should follow me, because Listen, everybody's coming for me. You're trying to arrest me for child abuse? Do you, do you know... The, have you heard these velvety pipes? Do you hear this? Have oh. you heard this? <laughs> I mean... It's like, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, just oh, you still want to arrest me? Okay, you still on, want to arrest me? Hold on. Hit, hit that note. Mm -hmm. One second. One second. <laughs> but velvety pipes or not, Tony was arrested and convicted of financial charges in 1994, and he served jail time until 1998. That's when, that's when he finally got Susan's body back. Yes. It's like someone was just holding it for him until he got out of prison. I don't even know. That's, that whole situation is so confusing. It's like, honest. hold on. I'll be out in like seven years. Yeah. Keep her warm. The, that whole <laughs> that whole exchange when the body was there, when it wasn't, when it was found, uh, her death warrant, all that stuff, weird. Uh, but he continued to communicate with followers while in prison, telling them that his battle with the IRS was actually a battle with the devil, of course. 
And once he was released, he quickly reestablished his church and built a new compound uh, with about 100 loyal followers. He could get that one hundo, man. He could get that hundo quick. Still got the um, 300 acres, though? Still same kind of land here? I still don't gonna... know if he's still going to have the 300 acres in Arkansas. <sighs> However, at this time, some of his more dangerous theology began to take root, though, Andy. Even more dangerous, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is when yeah. we start getting into the kind of sick cult leader mentality yeah. again. If you like this guy at all up until this point, that's about to change, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, some of these quote-unquote theories that Alamo included were that God condoned uh, polygamy, gay people were sent by Satan, and most importantly, that the age of consent was whenever a girl would hit puberty, saying, quote, God impregnated Mary when she was about 11 years old, end quote. I don't know where the hell he got that shit. Yeah, he, uh, we were we were finding some quotes about how some of the just disgusting things he I mean, starts I guess God saying. told him that when he saw him in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. God was probably like, hey, well, check this out. Here, this picture. This, like a, this girl's like 12, man. Bro, look at this. Look at this. Yeah. It's like, fucking whoa, baby mama. Isn't that illegal? Oh, the fucking baby mama no, right there. No, look she at had that. puberty. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My baby mama right there. Look at that. That's fucked up. But no, he did. But, he said some creepy shit. Like he was talking about how like people they would like the girls would be considered old bags by eighteen. Oh yeah, they and they would have. Yeah. He would tell his followers that they would have had sex with hundreds of men by the time oh, they were eighteen. God. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> after Susan died, it was known that Tony officially remarried a few times and also began to take multiple wives. But what became more and more clear was that his preference was for teenage girls or younger. For a time, he reportedly had up to 10 wives each under the age of 15. At least five girls testified later that they were married to him in a secret in a secret ceremony and then taken across state lines for sex, one of them being only eight years old at the time. Andy, eight years old. Yeah, we probably should have put like a little bit of a disclaimer this before we started getting into his parts of his crimes. Like there is, yeah, for, he's a fucking piece for the of rest, shit. there's, you know, child abuse, sex things. It's, uh, it's not a, it, these cult leaders never go out on top. Just yeah. Saying. They don't go out on a good note. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, all of this, but it, at least it brought attention to him and this shit started coming out because in 2008, the Alamo compound was again the subject of a federal raid. So I guess he did get the compound back. Uh, but this time, instead of tax evasion, they were looking for signs of child abuse and porn. Officials had investigated the rumors that he took underage girls across state lines and gathered enough evidence to arrest him. His own quotes don't exactly support his pleas of innocence. Uh, this is from radio broadcast. Andy, you want to read this quote for us? Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's hear it, Tony. Now the Bible's filled with stories where God commanded young women to get married, and when they start their periods, they are women. According to God's word, they should be able to be married at 13, 14, 15 years old. And in cases they've menstruated already, 12 years old. I'll make an exception. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. He also contended that Mary was as young as six at the time she conceived Jesus, and sarcastically asked if God could be considered a pedophile. I mean, if God's a pedophile, like, what's wrong with me, right? Exactly. Like, it's cool if God... Well, here, well, here's another quote from him, Andy. Read, read this. this is a direct quote about it. Yeah, I love it. Love that I'm getting to be this person. <laughs> Let me be this character. You want to take the almighty God to jail because he wanted the son of God to be born of a young virgin? But you Satan, you wicked people in the Vatican and all the rest of you want people, men like me, to be married to old bags... You want girls to wait until to wait until they're 18 years old, and them having have already had sex with possibly up to a hundred different men. Wow, I, 
what the hell? What statistic? What what did he read? What did he find? You want these girls to wait until they're 18? At 18 years? What the fuck is he talking about? Where are you? Oh my god. Yeah, he's he's insane, man. Alamo seems to think that all the ex-members upset with him are just unhappy that they didn't get more of his affection. Oh, of course, yeah. Daddy yeah, I, didn't love me enough. Right. I, I'll take this quote for you, give you a break. He says, quote, You get a young girl and you get them mad at you. They'll lie that you've had sex and that you've raped them or something. This is just the nature of women, especially if you don't continue to have relationships with them. They will leave and they will tear you to ribbons with their lying tongues, end quote. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jesus those Christ. All those women are just lying succubuses. All the women folk. Man, you, know? I, you just have to think at this time he's just trying to shock people. You know, he's just got to go down in a blaze of glory. He believes what he believes. I mean, when you've been this awful, you can't go back on it now. It's like almost it's almost like he's, he's just, just tempt, he's just testing like what like what are you going to keep letting me get away with? Like is anybody yeah. ever going to say no to me? Like I'm just going to keep saying the more outlandish shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it's it, just it's just continuously rolling like and it doesn't even help his situation. That's how I think he truly believes it. It doesn't even help his situation. It's like, you can't even lie long enough to get out of fucking jail? Like, what the hell? No, you're not even, like, trying to hide it anymore. You're not even being charismatic. shit, man. He's a sociopath. Uh, And Tony was convicted in 2009 after five women courageously testified that they were married to him when they were minors and then trafficked outside of Arkansas for sex. He was ultimately convicted of 10 counts of transporting minors as young as nine across state lines and was sentenced to 175 years in prison. He also had Just to, to pay, be safe. Yeah, definitely. He also had to pay $2.5 million in restitution. And to do this, his remaining properties and businesses were seized and sold off. Tony communicated with his followers from inside prison still, though. But his influence took a large hit, as you can imagine. And the church began to dismantle, as did Tony's health. He died at 82 years old on May 2nd, 2017. Not even that long ago. At the Federal Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. Hot damn. What was he doing in North Kakalaki at that time? He had to get these pamphlets out, Michael. Oh, he oh. had to get these pamphlets That's out. That's probably why they're still passing them around out here. Uh, apparently, he they had, had a bunch left over at the prison when he died. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, he passed uh, at 82 years old. Uh, apparently, he had some pretty wicked UTIs. Good. Yeah, yeah, fuck him, right? <laughs> Fucking good. I hope you died from dick pain. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope that Seriously. is the cause of your death. Piece of shit. I hope you died of dick. <laughs> but the Alamo Ministries posted a death notice on its homepage and is still in existence. It has not declared who the officials are running the organization, but the organization is most assuredly still active and still printing pamphlets. Uh, littering car windshields across the country, right, Andy? Gotcha. That's how they do it. I'm keeping it. I'm definitely keeping it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's not going in the trash. <laughs> no, we have to keep it now. It's just like, it's like a funny memento now. Um, so, yeah. So that's the story of Tony uh, Alamo. But a very interesting part of this case is some of the personal testimonies that we were able to found, find of people who were in the cult for you know, a certain amount of time or whatever. People who were, some people were high level. There is a documentary on ID. I think it's called Evil Lives Here. It's a show. It's called Evil Lives Here. Is that right? Or I Evil... think so. It's like four episodes. It's four parts. It's like a mini series of a yeah, documentary. And there's a few episodes that pertain to the Tony Alamo case. Mm-hmm. And I watched a few clips of it. Uh, and it, it is really good. It's completely a reenactment for the most part. Yeah, but uh, it it is pretty good, and it definitely helps you understand uh, what these people went through. 
1990, a Catholic author received a pamphlet titled Nailed in her mailbox. She wanted to learn more, so she posed as a potential member and visited the compound in Arkansas. Now, in the town of Alma, the church owned a restaurant, clothing store, two gas stations, and other assorted businesses. The compound was funded by these businesses and included residential quarters so that members could live communally. They had a school, a chapel, and a main office. It also had a 24-hour phone room so that anyone at any time could call in for salvation. Now, all this was shown uh, to this woman when she visited the compound. She said the compound was gated and barricaded. Uh, Based on reasoning from Tony, quote, a Jesuit deacon tried to set us up for a massacre there on three different occasions, end quote. I think that's Jesuit. Uh, a Jesuit deacon. Oh, I'm deacon. sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. A Jesuit deacon uh, tried to set us up for a massacre. So that, I guess that's why it was so protected. Um, Again, but he also, the paranoia of him thinking, oh, yeah, they're trying to massacre all my followers. Yeah, that's bullshit. Nobody, don't nobody think they tried were. to attack it. No. Uh, he also had, here's another quote. We just don't want anybody up there at all. I don't tell my guards to be armed, but when I went to the Vatican to see the Pope, they put machine guns on me. Always, yeah, always bringing up the Vatican. Because like, he's the fucking Pope, and you're Tony. Uh, right. You're just Tony, man. <laughs> you're you're uh, actually Bernie. I mean, I know uh, you got velvety pipes, but you're just Tony. You're just Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, here's a, here's another cult member. Quote, I was on the streets when Tony Alamo found me, says Joan, a resident of the Dyer compound, a place where last names were rarely used. Quote, I was into drugs real heavy when Tony took me in. Tony gave me food, shelter, and a Christian husband. End quote. Eighteen years and three children later, Joan remains a pawn in the Alamo organization. She spends her days, nights, and weekends working for the foundation while raising her children to become, quote, worthy followers of Tony Alamo. New converts uh, called, quote, baby Christians are placed under the watchful eyes of, quote, older brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, (laughs) And here's another one from a foundation minister. It kind of makes me think of just the idea of like how much he controlled everything. He's like, I'm going to bring you in. I choose who you marry. I choose when you have kids. I choose how many kids you have. I choose where, I choose what those kids learn. Yeah. And compared to overdosing in the street, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good alternative, I guess. Um, This, now this guy, Ian Mann, he was a foundation minister in the cult. So he was, you know, probably a couple steps under Tony, but pretty high level, probably got to boss people around, probably had some power go to his head and whatnot. But he says, quote, we don't have a seminary or anything like that, he says. Once they're saved, we just pray a lot with new members, teach them how to read the Bible, show them how we minister, and then send them out into the field, end quote. Man teaches the new recruits to forsake their parents and cling to the foundation. The, con- the uh, converts are warned that if they leave the organization, they will lose their salvation and, of course, <laughs> go to hell. Duh. Absolutely. <laughs> You're definitely going to hell. Um, one former foundation employee testified that he and other workers were forced to, quote, sleep on the floor and eat food out of garbage cans. Uh, workers suffered from lack of sleep, very poor nourishment, and a constant work schedule. You really couldn't think for yourself. You lived in fear. And the foundation browbeats people. It stands them up and belittles them. They get a good grip on your mind, end quote. Um, I actually saw, I was watching a clip about, it had some interviews just like this and some different yeah. stories and stuff. There's another guy, I, I, cause I didn't see this one in our notes. We didn't have this guy, but he was talking about how talking like about. he was, it's the exact same thing where he was brought in and accused in front of a bunch of people. Then it was this, he said, she said, you know, bullshit back and forth, but it's all in front of Tony. Tony yes. is the judge, jury and executioner of all of this. Mm-hmm. 
And apparently the kid was like, well, I, my mom told me this. And Tony's therefore like, so your mom is thinking that she can interpret my teachings yeah. instead of just accepting them. You don't get to I, interpret my teachings. I don't think she was You even... have to accept them. And he like made this kid like... She was just going over Bible verses with him and she didn't check the interp- the uh, interpretation with Tony first. She just made up her own. Yeah, he she was, was like, like, that's not what that verse means. Yeah, you don't get to interpret anything. Yeah. You take what I say, I interpret, and you just follow what I say. And he made this kid go up to his mother and like yell at her and then strike her. Repeatedly Mo- until it was hard enough to satisfy him. Yeah, until he until he and what he said was she obviously has a demon in her mm. and you need to beat the demon out. That's mm-hmm. the kind of mentality that he, as, as the cult starts spiraling, as the as the pressure starts mounting, as the IRS is circling, as all yeah. the different you know government agencies are tracking you down, that it starts to spiral out of control. You see this numerous times with different cult leaders over the years where right. when it when the when their feet are starting to get held to the fire they really start to spiral they start abusing drugs or alcohol yeah. or you know you saw Jim Jones always wearing the sunglasses because his fucking eyes were just racked the whole time yeah absolutely man um, another former member who grew up in the cult and worked in the factory where those bomb ass denim jackets were made still has conflicted feelings about the clothing Although Benjamin Risha suffers from complex PTSD, he has been active to speak out against the ministries and been interviewed for articles and highlighted on a documentary for Investigation Discovery. I think this is the fellow we're talking about, Benjamin Risha. I think that's the guy you're talking about. Yeah, I do It was his so. testimony, but this was a different story. Um, and he says about the jackets, they do look awesome, right? And when questioned how people should feel about them if they learn the full history, he says, quote, I guess I would tell people wearing them, once you know where they come from, to try to go out of your way to help people less fortunate. Go to a place where women are battered or children need help. If you can afford the jacket, chances are you can afford to go help somebody. And that's, that's pretty good advice. Yeah, they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good advice. Listen, this is not a flea now, market jacket. <laughs> now, there was another story that Benjamin Risha shared where he had a conflict with his father. Now, do you remember this? His father found some book in his room that was like, I don't know, it wasn't quite a Playboy it was like but a textbook. It was, something... it was like an anatomy book. Yeah, or... but it had some risque stuff in it or something, right? Or it had like medical. Oh, it's just picture... an anatomy book. Oh yeah, yeah it had like didn't... medical pictures. And his dad didn't cross out the genitalia. Did Apparently, not... he was supposed to black out the genitalia. He was supposed to use a black marker and blur mm-hmm. out the genitalia in the books because they were not allowed to see those things. Yeah, exactly. And so what happened was, uh, the father was then brought in or the son was brought in someone told on the son i guess one of his friends or something so the son was brought in this risha uh benjamin risha was brought in well when he goes and sees tony he tells him well my dad left it around for me to find he didn't have it up where it should be and now this benjamin risha he had tony's blessing tony really liked this kid mm-hmm. i mean he was probably like 12 13 at this time and so he brings them both in. He brings Benjamin and his father in. And he gets the explanation from both. And his father's like, look, I had this up. It wasn't in his room. It was in my room. Um, this was not a textbook for him to find or whatever. And Tony basically was like, well, you shouldn't have it in your house. Mm-hmm. You should not have tempted him in that way. And so he literally has another member of the cult paddle Benjamin's father, paddle him like a child in front of him. He gets 10 lashes with a paddle. From a grown-ass man, and he's a grown-ass man. Mm-hmm. 
Man, it's, at that point, I'd be like, I'm fucking out of here. But they're, yes, this but is, they're all they're all so I, I broken and tired. It's that 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 textbook cult mentality. They're gonna break your mentality. They're gonna completely wear you down to where you're not gonna argue. Right. All right, guys. Well, that's it. That's our first cult. Uh, we got lots more cult shit coming. And you know me and Andy like to talk cults. We really do. Um, we, we both have strong religious backgrounds. Uh, I've been exposed to a lot of different religions throughout the years. And I really do I really do like talking cults. So I'm really looking forward to this series. Um, we, may do, we may do like American cults, you know, like homegrown American cults here for a little while. Oh, and yeah. Then maybe we'll got, go around the world. We've already got know? a few kind of lined up on the schedule yeah, with yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. things like Nexium and the IBLP. Yeah. Well, we and... covered Nexium on uh, Strange Unexplained already. But we, we got some good ones coming up for sure. Uh, but Andy, for now, before we get to our uh, lovely sponsors, let's have a little antidote, man. Because, you know, we had, some, we had some pretty dark shit there at the end of the episode. I think we need something a little lighter to lift our spirits. What do you got for us, Andy? I wanted to talk about this story that I found. It came, you know, kind of across my news feed a few days ago. But it was just one of those moments of just like, you've always seen the bits of it where it's like, oh, you go back to the scene of the crime. We'll get a good, we'll get a good little news bro- uh, oh, clip yeah, absolutely. of the crime. And then we'll get like all the, the details. You have the police yeah, tape. Yeah, that's what I like. Some on-scene reporting. You want that on-scene that's live right. reporting. That's right. But in Chicago, a TV news crew was robbed at gunpoint while reporting on a fucking robbery. <laughs> what? And it's just one of those great little things back and forth. Have you ever seen the oh clip of a guy God. talking about being on the road when he saw a car accident? He's like, I was just standing here smoking a cigarette. And then all of a sudden a car just, and he's like, while he's talking, another car hits the curb. and just flies off the road. He's like, and basically did that. <laughs> 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 just like yeah, just like that. That's just, what happened. Yeah. Just like that. And just like that. So a Chicago television crew was reporting on a string of robberies. They ended up being robbed themselves after they were accosted at mm. gunpoint by three armed robbers wearing skin. I just feel like you know that reporter was just like, but can I get a quote, please? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're robbing, but but can I get a quote, please? Can like for, quote? for Chicago on, WTV. Right. Okay, what you guys? Why are you doing this? <laughs> you gonna mask my voice? Yeah, man. Like, well, yeah. it's just yeah. We'll blur your face too. Take that mask off. We'll <laughs> if you want to take the mask off, we'll do the blur face. Yeah, it'll be fine. Just be a bunch of guys in masks get stuck in their face blurred. It's like, yeah, man. It's just rough right now. I know it's not what I really want to do right now, but right. I just got to take what you have, and you know, I'll, I hope I can give back. Blur. It ain't nothing <laughs> personal, man. It ain't just personal. just all the, the the voice masking and stuff like yeah, on yeah. live TV. It's just like, oh, are you are you guys live now? Right. Oh, 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 yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt, come here. They're live. They're live. Okay, They're live. so. So we wanted to talk about what's happening. Uh, right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Hands up. Yeah, keep them up. Keep them up. <laughs> keep those cameras rolling, baby. Yeah, exactly. But they were approached with guns and robbed. It was mainly just personal items, but they yeah. did take a camera. They did take one of the big cameras. They're like, yeah, we're taking that camera. You know, give me that camera. Was it Sony? Yeah, I'll take that camera. Yeah, you yeah, you can <laughs> <laughs> feed cuts out. <laughs> right. Cut back to the studio. Okay. And we seem to have lost them now. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we'll get that camera back, John. <laughs> Everybody's okay. They did find that all the crew was okay. I don't know mm-hmm. if they actually came back, but the Chicago police did identify the victims of the crime. Mm. Uh, but police said the pair was outside when three men drove up in a gray sedan and a black SUV. After the robbers took the items, the new crew, the news crew then just had to flee in their vehicles. Like they were just sitting there about to start recording. Yeah. Like I imagine like the news van sitting there, they're all setting up, they're getting the microphone ready. And it's just like, all right, so we got to get things right. Who are, oh shit. 
Man, we shouldn't have come down here. We should not have. No, we didn't even have the police this. tape up we yet. We could have just had the anchor do this story. <laughs> they didn't even have the police we... tape up. Yeah, the police hadn't even been here yet. <laughs> you is, guys that, are... is that blood? Are you oh, still robbing Jesus the police? Jesus Christ. God, we beat the police again. They're still robbing <sighs> we it. we got to stop this. <sighs> yeah, I was like, it's just one of those great little moments of just like happening on camera, live, yeah. just in the middle of, all right, we're going to go report on this. We're going to go report on this crime and then have that crime happen to us. Right, <laughs> just a great, right. fun little great moment. That That is pretty good. Because everyone is good. okay. No one got shot. No one got hurt. Right, just right. Just a great moment to be like, call back to the studio and be like, yeah, we can't give you that story you asked for. No. Why not? I mean, it's a it's a heavy crime area. There should be plenty yeah. to report on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's... Heavy crime area. <laughs> um, calling from a payphone there, John. Uh, <laughs> I don't well, have any don't shoes. Have a camera. I don't know if you noticed the feed cut out. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any shoes now, John. Right, yeah. Our right van's on. up on blocks. <laughs> <laughs> they stole my oh my Gaia. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I still smell great out here though. That's right. We still smell great. But uh, yeah, guys, we got to get to some sponsors, but this is how we're going to end every show from now on. Uh, when we're talking about a dark crime or something just d- hard to digest case, like uh, Goodnight Sugar Babe, Oof. one of the toughest ones. Uh, yeah, we'll have a little Andy dote at the end where Andy will bring a lighter crime story or just something funny or some kind of circumstantial story that will uh, bring a smile to your face before we sign off, okay? Uh, but real quick, before we go, we also got to tell you guys about our sponsors, Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Uh, and there's tons of scents to choose from, guys, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. Uh, there's fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, so many more, guys. And we have our very own scent here for True Crime Guys called True Crime Pine. If you don't know where to start, great unisex scent to get you going with your Oh My Guy uh, fascination. Because you're going to love it. If you're, if, you want, if you're wanting to make the switch to natural deodorant, no better time, no better company to do it with. I promise. Uh... There's also a new scent out now that my wife is absolutely crazy over. It's called Aloha. Ooh. Uh, it smells amazing. Got it a little really pineapple does. in there. Really, maybe some mangoes, some tropical scents. It's quite nice. It's quite nice. nice. Uh, but good news, because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code word CREEPER for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at shop underscore omigaya on Instagram or omigaya.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And guys, there's links to omigaya and the creep uh, the creeper code word right below the description of this episode. That's pretty nice, Michael, but you know what else is pretty nice? What else is pretty nice, Andy? CBD. It is. Because it's true, not all CBD products are created equal. It's it's very true. From how the hemp is grown, how it's processed, and how mm-hmm. it's formulated and delivered into your body. That's why we choose Tonic CBD. Because Tonic CBD's products really stand out with original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, mm-hmm. and superfoods. And it's been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. Tonic cultivates their own hemp on, the, on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to the distribution facility, where it's turned into the finished product and sent directly to you, the consumers, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. With values rooted in quality, integrity, sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and even better for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word CREEPER for 20% off your first order, guys. That is tonicvibes.com 
and use code word CREEPER for 20% off your first order. That's right. And again, links and code word below the description of the episode. Anytime you hear these sponsors, they will be below, as well as um, HelloFresh that you heard in the middle of the episode. Link below the description. Um, guys, don't forget to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys, where you can hear everything that we have ever created on Patreon. And if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, rather, don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop every single Wednesday. Uh, and also, like I mentioned, every Monday, you will have a new episode of Strange and Unexplained. Um, let's see. What else do we need, Andy? We're back on our new schedule every third, every fourth Wednesday will be a Patreon exclusive. So that means our regular scheduled True Crime Guys proper episode will only be on Patreon. And But me and Andy will still be here to laugh with you guys on headlines and shenanigans. And also do not forget, guys, uh, if you're following us on YouTube, please go follow us also on TikTok. Check out the TikToks we make that yes. uh, Michael's daughter Melody is going to start putting up. More YouTube videos That's we start right. making. Now that we're back, th- you'll start seeing the TikToks again. popping up. Absolutely, absolutely. Follow us on all social media at True Crime Guys. I think it's at underscore True Crime Guys underscore on TikTok or something weird like that. But every other one is True Crime Guys. Um, or you can just go to TrueCrimeGuys.com and there's links to everything there from merch to our YouTube channel, Spotify. Uh, there's definitely something for you on there. Uh, anything else, Andy? I think, I think we're doing pretty good, Michael. I think we got begin some new this followers is a, this lately. This is a great first episode. It really we got, is. This past week, we just broke 4,000 followers on X. On what? X. X. What is that? Formerly known as Twitter. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Andy runs Twitter. Sorry. I looked at it I was like, uh, it's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm on X. I don't even know what we're on. I'm like, that's great. Uh, <laughs> just sounds like a, it sounds like a perfume commercial. It's just like, now on X. Well, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of sounds like FX. Yeah, or yeah. just like Cinemax after dark back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Cinemax. Cinemax, you mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it for us. We will see you next week uh, with a new True Crime Guys episode, probably on a cult, and I'm pretty excited. So we'll see you next Wednesday. Uh, until then, keep creeping, guys. Bye. You hush your mouth, boy.